the joy of being yourself is phenomenal. And you can actually, it's never too late. It's never too late to be yourself. Hello and welcome to this episode of Overcoming Anxiety with Dawn Morgan. Good afternoon, good evening or good morning to you all. Today I have a guest with me. Tawny Sophia Acosta is a certified hypnotherapist, an author, volunteer and advocate within the LBGTQ community. Prior to her current career, she worked as an engineer and project manager in information technology for more than 20 years, specialising in technology for TV entertainment. Her current passion as a therapist is to help those in the LBGTQ community, which she is part of, to overcome some of the many high barriers that exist. Her advocacy and career are focused on empowering individuals to continue their paths of authenticity while finding holistic ways to overcome their personal challenges. Hello, Tawny, and welcome to my show. How are you today? Good morning. I'm good and enjoying my morning coffee. Okay, that's great. Great. Now, this show is all about overcoming anxiety, and I have guests on my show who can tell us about their journey, about their life experience where anxiety has shown up. And uh, so I'd love you to share your story with us. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, first of all, it's, it's a pleasure to be here and a pleasure to be with your audience. And, um, anyway, boy, anxiety. Um, I think I could talk quite a bit about that, but I think in particular, so to give a little bit about my background, I am, I'll be 63 years old in September, September this year. And I'm a transgender woman. So a lot of my anxiety came from, I did not deal with who I was. I would kind of lived in denial and repression and so forth. I did not deal with who I was until I was in my 50s. So the act of not dealing with who one is, when you're in a process of enormous denial, and, and there's good reasons for those denials. You know, there's good reasons for that. There's good reasons for why we don't want to deal with that. But on the other hand, the, you know, all that denial, it, it caused tremendous pain and suffering for myself. Mm-hmm. And one of them is definitely anxiety. And so the anxiety, there's there's a technical word for this in the, words, in the world of transgender. But I think more for the audience in general, the, the anxiety comes from one, this discrepancy of what, of how my my mind is wired up, which my mind is wired up to perceive me as a woman, though I was born as a man. Yes. And so going out and living and socializing in society, there's just constant things that stimulate that contradiction or that conflict. And so that produces huge amounts of anxiety. And I said, I think what I would say, I just kind of compare it to going through life where one is never truly yourself. Yes. So because of that, it's almost like you're not really bringing, I wasn't bringing myself to the table or I was bringing a, a much smaller portion of it. And so that creates huge amounts of anxiety and dealing with just you know, life is not easy. So dealing with all the challenges of life and it almost would feel like 
I'm kind of play acting in a way. Absolutely. It's sort of like you're taking on an identity that isn't isn't you. You're you're as you say, you're you're playing a role rather than being who you truly are. And I think a lot of people will resonate with that on lots of different levels. Um, but I, I'm sure as a transgender woman, that was even worse because it's such a, a huge difference. Yes. So I had lots of forms of anxiety that came out. I think social anxiety, anxiety about just easy things. Um, you know, I, I did a lot of things that were uh, a lot of avoidance. Mm-hmm. In other words, um, I didn't like being alone because if I was alone, all I could think about was being myself, being, being a woman. And that was very, very, very uncomfortable. So I would just keep myself incredibly busy from start to stop, you know, from early yeah. in the morning till nine or 10 at night. I would just always stay super busy. And if I was that busy, I never had to think about it. And that's, and- that's classic anxiety, isn't it? It's what I call high functioning anxiety. Keep me busy. And then I, I, you know, I don't need to worry about all those other things. And it sort of keeps your anxiety busy almost as well. So it it can't come in. Can I, can I ask you, when, when did you first know that you weren't aligned with the person you were born as? Yeah. It, it's very interesting. Um, phenomenon. I, 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 have, I can answer this question several ways, but I think one way, I think at a young age, I knew I was different. I just didn't understand what that difference was. Because when, you know, when, you, when you're a young kid, you think how you feel is how everybody feels. Yes. You know, you gen- like if you grow up rich, you think everybody's rich. If you grow up poor, you think everybody's poor. Yes. And likewise, I'm experiencing these feelings that I don't really have quite a language for. Mm-hmm. I don't quite have words, and because I grew up in a time and a generation where there, there really wasn't all that, that much information about this, no. that I, you know, I couldn't really, you know, there wasn't a word that said, aha, it's a this. And so I, I experienced that from a young age, but I also, what I did know, you know, actually, we do have to give credit for kids are quite intelligent about so kids are kids, but also kids can be very, very intelligent about things. I think I didn't know at a young age, you know, um, my father's very traditional. My father was a, a very brilliant man. He was a professor of engineering at one of the top science schools here. But as far as how he raised a family, it was very traditional, very, very strict. And, and so I knew at a young age, whatever I was feeling on the inside, if I expressed that around my father, it, you know, you know, that wasn't going to go well. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. It, it, it's always quite interesting how children can feel that, can't they? You can sort of feel that, you know, maybe what you're feeling isn't going to be accepted or it's not going to fit the narrative. And therefore it's, it's better if I just sort of internalize it. And that's where a lot of anxiety comes from. Yes. And that's where my process of internalizing felt. So yeah, definitely. So, and it's very funny because, you know, to unravel all of this, yes, I've done quite a bit of therapy and at present, you know, it'll be part of my intro, but at at present I work as a hypnotherapist Mm -hmm. and through both therapy and hypnotherapy, because there's times I just never had these strong memories of always having this feeling 
And I always thought, oh, well, that's how it's supposed to be. But that's, one, that's not necessarily true. And two, really through all these therapies, it's like I started to unearth all these things that had just been very, you know, sequestered into a private box, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. And and so when did that all start sort of falling apart? <laughs> yeah, oh my God. It's There is a funny thing. And I think what I really... I love to speak right now. I love to speak to people because, you know, the best thing in the world is, you know, kind of like the old, like the classic playwright, you know, Oscar Wilde said, you know, be yourself. Everyone else is taken. Mm -hmm. The joy of being yourself is phenomenal. And you can actually, it's never too late. It's never too late to be yourself. And so uh, to answer your question, I did this, I started coming to terms with myself in my early fifties. And, but because I was so severely repressed because, you know, it's like you mentioned before, those, those patterns of suppression, those patterns of anxiety, those patterns of depression, all those, you know, there's a whole pathology that follows when you're not truly yourself. And it, and it comes up in many forms, but depression is one of them. Maybe addictions can be another form of it. You know, there are many, many things come out. But I think those things started to unravel for me in my early 50s, mm-hmm. where all these, what I thought were, you know, you could term them unhealthy coping strategies and healthy coping, but the, at some point they're all unhealthy. They just stopped functioning. <laughs> you know, they stopped working. And what it was is I would do a number of things that I thought made me feel good. And maybe those things are trying to work very hard or those things are trying. I think also maybe I lived a life of trying to be a people pleaser. Mm -hmm. That was how I adjusted to this strange reality. And at some point being a people pleaser just it comes it comes to an end it doesn't work anymore it does you you don't get the um the the response the happy feeling the the um affirmation from it do you you or the validation you don't get it so much after a while and i think there's a certain time in life also that there seems to be a transition when you reach certain age and it's different for everyone but you reach a certain age and you just think you know what I'm done with trying to please people I'm done with trying to fit in and do what other people think I'm just going to be me now right and I think in particular I was um, married for over 20 years about uh, it's like actually 24 years before we separated and got a divorce and in the very beginnings of dealing with who I was and starting to embrace it, to seek therapy, and then slowly start to seek medical attention. Um, I very, very, very much, this was my own thinking, I very much wanted my wife at the time to stay with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, but it wasn't meant to be. And and now I can, I can say that with a good feeling in my heart, like I feel good it wasn't meant to be, but though at that time, I was desperately trying to navigate this irreality of trying to please her, Mm -hmm. trying to keep the marriage going and trying to embarrass, embarrass, ooh, boy, that was a parting slip, but in trying to embrace myself. 
Yes, yeah. And I suppose with many years of marriage, there's there was certain dialogue that you were feeding your unconscious mind to create your identity. So I suspect your unconscious mind was saying, well, hang on a second, where, where are we going here? What, you know, which identity we're, there's a oh, complete mismatch of not sure what you want. <laughs> yeah. It is what, what, you know, what we would say in modern terminology, the existential crisis, you know, it really right. was. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, I could talk a little bit and, and I'm very, very open person after all of this. And and I think one perhaps as part of being transgender, you one or I have had to deal with things that, you know, are not normally discussed in quote unquote polite company. So you have to deal with everything from sex, sexuality, all these things mm -hmm. that maybe we you know, we deal with but they're kind of, you know, brushed off to the side. And um, that, that, in in one way, it it it, it I, it's a gift. It makes me very open. On the other hand, sometimes my everyday of reconciling very challenging things are not the the subject of normal conversation. No, of course not. They would. They just wouldn't be, would they? And I, but I'm sure there's a lot of people that would that are sitting on the the sidelines sort of thing, well, how does that work and how does this work or, or whatever? But, you know, we're, we don't need to go there today. But the anxiety, really, I, I suppose, understanding, I can't understand it, I you know, because I'm, I'm not you um, and I'm not transgender. So there's a certain amount of what you've gone through that only people who have gone through that or are going through that or are in that stuck state that you were in or the confused state you were in beforehand um, and not I don't mean confused by not knowing I mean confused by your identity and that sort of transition sure. period yeah absolutely and so there will be a lot of people here that listening that perhaps are really in some place along that journey yeah. I think well, well first of all it's so it, it, in the beginnings, it is so scary, intimidating to carve out your own path. Mm, yeah. And, and the ramifications of those decisions, you know, it's like we deal with fears. There's yeah. intense, there's enormous fears at being yourself and there's enormous ramifications. Yeah. And and so the incredible, the remarkable thing in, in one way, I think I was given a gift that at one point in my journey, it became crystal clear. I, I only had one option left in my life to be myself. Nothing else was going to work. And that turned out to be a gift because I, it enabled me to go through all the difficulty I was about to uh, endure. Mm -hmm. um, but then the difficulty, when you go through these difficulties, you, you know, after you get past it and you have some perspective, you begin to realize these were the things that I needed to be a better person. These are the things that I needed to be happy. These were precisely the things I needed to do to address the things inside myself that were not addressed, they're not dealt with. And so it, it, it felt really, you know, it, it, on the one hand, I think when I just started the process, and this, and you know, though I'm though I'm transgender, and many of your audience may not be transgender, but it, it ends up being a very human issue. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think living in an identity that isn't your true self is across the human race. I think so many people are doing that because of parental expectations or, or you know, what their bosses think or their society thinks or confirming with their their um, religion or, or any sort of um, restriction or rules that are put on somebody by other people can restrict us in who we actually are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it is funny when I started this process and I, and I, and I do like to share that when I started the process, it, it, it was like these two desperate things would emerge. One of them was this euphoria, like a young child, being, you know, experiencing yourself like a, like I turned into a teenage girl. You know? yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to socialize and go out to nightclubs and have fun. And, you know, but but that was very, very euphoric. Then on the other hand, to actually to start to take a look at myself in the mirror and realize as as I slowly started to come together and realize, oh my God, I have these incredibly underdressed problems that I've never dealt with before. And it's like, oh, I didn't, you know, it, it's kind of waking up to your own reality that I have to deal with these. Because mm-hmm. if I don't, it's like, I, I'm not going to be happy living this, living this way. And I think, you know, number one, to realize that I really was a, a people pleaser. And I lived my life that way. That was my self-defense mechanism. And and especially, you know, right now as a therapist, I, you know, I encounter so many people who live that way. Like, they'll even know it. Like, I don't want to people please, but I am. Yes. You know, to realize that that, and that was the way I lived my marriage. Well, that's really not a happy marriage for either person, really. No, no. Was there any time... Was there any time during your, once you'd made the decision to transition, was there any time where you sat down and thought, had doubts, you know, thought about, is, is this right? Should I keep going or or Definitely. is this right for me? Yeah. Definitely. You know, you'd love to say, I mean, you know, I think, number one, it's scary to walk into a new normal. Mm. It's scary. Yeah. Because, you know, you know, normality, you know, our, our minds, our upbringing, our thoughts, it's made to recreate the same normal that we know. Yeah. Because it brings us comfort. What is familiar? Absolutely. It's about familiarity, the safety and knowing devil you know than the devil you don't type of thing, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. And then I think there's many times because to go through this process for me, um i had to lose a lot yes. I, had to, I had to kind of shed this skin of all my former life and that was very traumatic i had to lose my marriage i worked in information technology for many many years since the early 80s till till you know the, you know mm, around 2017 i couldn't for some reason i think the newer version of me the new improved version as it were um I, even though I'd worked so long in information technology, I just wasn't, the transition version of me was not meant to work in technology. Mm -hmm. And there's ages and all that stuff. So, you know, 
I think the hardest thing is I had to endure a lot of loss. I had to endure rejection of my family. I had to endure loss of my marriage, loss of my job, loss of family, loss of friends, you know, because really it was a, a whole new life coming in. But in the beginnings of going through all these losses and, and as well losing all my finances, which was, you know, if you want to talk about an attachment to your identity, or to lose all those things when you're 50 years, you know, 50 plus. Yeah. Well, and it's like, what is the rest of my life going to be? I mean, I need security and money and retirement and all these things, you know. So that was a very, very, very traumatic process. And, you know, partway through it, it's like, I knew, what am I doing? Have I lost it? Have I lost my mind? Why am I doing this? Why am I going through all this? And, you know, and, and also in the process, emotionally digesting all that loss is it ends up being a lot of grieving you know when you lose a marriage it's like though it's not a tangible thing it's like a grieving process like you lose yeah absolutely yeah it's it's but you're you're grieving what could have been you're you're grieving the future that you had in your mind right. of what life was going to be like and and so when something comes to an end where it's you know a marriage or a job or in anything really you can feel really stuck and and be at one of those well what now moments yeah so there's many times and many days it's yeah. like oh my god what i'm doing and and i think when you know especially this process but again it, these are human things in the beginnings of trying to you know i've socialized as male i lived as a male so uh, in the beginnings of the process, I'm presenting as female, um, all those things, but my confidence in doing that was not very high. It yeah. was tremendously intimidating. And then taking on a whole new set of behavior, a whole new set of interactions, a whole new set of socializations. Well, that, that, that's a lot. It's really overwhelming. And as well, you know, transgender people will go through surgeries and so forth to align the body and the mind. But in the beginnings, you know, my looks, my appearance, my demeanor is slowly growing into that. So I don't look, you know, at, I hate to use this word, it's not the best word, but I don't really quite, in the beginnings, I don't look like the finished product. So I look a little, you know, it, it, there's parts of me that look, okay, that I am transitioning, that I did live as a male, those sides of me are still kind of coming out in my appearance and behavior. And so that makes socialization as a woman kind of interesting, contradictory. How about the, the people in your life? How how were they reacting to, to this? Were they supportive or, or did they sort of shrink away? Um. <clears throat> Well, there's a full range, mm -hmm. uh, a full range of behavior. There's several people who will just, they won't be a part of your life anymore. Yeah. Or, then there's a range of people that um, they may, they may be kind of in the neutral zone and there's people that are supportive. Yeah. And really, truly really what happens, what's so unusual about this process, or I think like, you know, we we're saying before, it's a human process. Yeah. But it's just many, many extremes all at once. So what I would say is that at various phase, phases of this process, I would have people come into my life based on where what I was going through. I would kind of go through those things and they kind of pop in and pop out of my life. Yeah, they, 
they they do say that some people are not designed to stay in your life you know there's a, there's a lot of we we like to hold on to things but you know sometimes people come into our lives to teach us something or to help us with something and then they're gone again once they're not needed anymore and but i i think it's human instinct to want to sort of keep hold of lots mm -hmm. of people when actually it's sometimes you just gonna let them go yeah and um you know probably like you know a lot of people you know i think the word people use a lot now is attachment styles right we, we talk about mm. that so partnering and friendships and so yes because of that it brings up a very good point i had an attachment style that was very clingy Mm -hmm. like I hold on to everything very desperately and so I think part of that process for me was to get to that point where and you know maybe this is the point where I'm very comfortable with it but to you know when things come in and come out to be okay with that yeah and to realize that's not going to be the you know the end all of things but you know maybe when people leave your life you know, there, there's emotion that comes with that. And then we get to deal with that emotion. Yeah, yeah. It's the, the whole transition into a new identity or a new life or new, as you said, it's a very human thing to do. And it's it's on a, a scale of small things to huge things. But, you know, most people will have experienced some sort of um, transition from one identity to another, because even as humans, we do it. You know, we don't think the same as a five-year-old as we do a 15-year-old or a 25-year-old or a 45-year-old. You know, that we, we are going through a life transition and different identities anyway without the additional um, situation that you found yourself in. Sure. Yeah. Definitely. I, I mean, we evolve, we grow. Yeah. And, and when we don't grow, we stagnate. And then when we stagnate... You know what happens with stagnation all these things you know and i think i think anxiety is one of them and i think for myself one of it's not this is not a definitive definition but one of the aspects of depression is really depression can be a byproduct of not being yourself yes it's not it's not having being, living not being connected to yourself not, um, not affirming yourself not living that, not advocating that, and that produces a lot of depression or similar types of behavior, you know. And and so, what do we see in the world a lot today? There's there's a lot of anxiety, a lot of uncertainty. I think you know there's just a lot of uncertainty because you know that's what the world is right now, you know. I think ultimately the world is always very uncertain. We we just we have this idea that we can control things, that we can predict things, that we can. Um, that staying staying the same or doing the same thing is is actually a good thing and and if we can release all of that relief I'll get my words out straight in that if we can release all of that there is a calmness beyond that where we can allow things to ebb and flow as they they will and you know we're not living our lives are very different to when they were in medieval times. <laughs> that would be a frightening thought, right? I know, exactly. You know, we'd, we, as humans, we evolve. Each generation evolves slightly differently. My children see things very differently to I did when I was their age. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's, it is, the whole thing is an evolution. And, but yet 
as individual humans, we sometimes are afraid to change, to transition into a new world or into a new life. And what's really interesting for me is COVID. You know, the situation with COVID, we've sort of fast forwarded 10 years of sort of technology and a way of living in just those couple of years. And and a lot of people are struggling with that quick change. Uh, yeah, it, it's an amazing, in, in one side, one, it's very scary thing. We dealt with a worldwide pandemic. Yeah. So that, that's, you know, oh my gosh. And, and if I think about it, well, my parents dealt with the pandemic because they dealt with polio mm. the when my family grew up. And that was a very scary thing until Francis Salk, was it Salk? Yeah, came up with the, you know, with, with, with the vaccine, right? Yes. And so, you know, people grew up in fear of that pandemic or fear that their kids would be, you know, immobile or worse. Yeah. And so, you know, but maybe for our generation, this is the first time that kind of the whole world's all been affected at once by something. So all of a sudden we all have this one communal experience. And I think also because we are so connected with all of the world and our news you know, 24 hour news, throwing it down our throats all the time. Whereas, you know, when I was a child, the, the news was very different. We didn't really know what was going on outside of our own environment. Sure. So, you know, I'm sure as a child, if, if there'd been a pandemic, I wouldn't really have known about it. I would have just been living in my own, mm. own town. Yes. I think one of the, I mean, there's several aspects of this pandemic and, and on the one thing, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of struggle, a lot of suffering, you know, a lot of the constructs we had with business and so forth were, have been incredibly challenged. Yes. You know, but I think on a very personal level, you know, many of us lived a life that were, you know, it's kind of like my life. We're always been busy. We're just very busy staying busy. And so for the first time in the pandemic, it's like, there's nothing to do. You have to stay home. Yeah. And, and for many of us, like I've met many people within the LGBTQ plus community, the pandemic is the thing where they really dealt with themselves. And so there's many yeah. people like me or many people in, in that. And I think similarly, for the general population, there's many times where people have had to take a look at themselves and be reflective to have reflective time. Although all under the strange auspices of the pandemic, strange politics, all these crazy things. Yet at the other time, it's, you know, you, you know, you have to ask questions about yourself for the first time. And I think maybe with respect to this pandemic, that is not a normal set of process, you know, the, or no. a, a set of thought that we go through. So, and then, you know, we're somewhat been inching out of the pandemic, we're socializing, there might be, you know, all the other things, and I don't want to comment on it. You know, I think there are some people that are predisposed to be reflective in their thoughts. Mm -hmm. There's some people that they're, just, you know, they're not really, haven't been raised or wired up that way or being forced that way can create some craziness, you know? And now, so I think change is, is particularly difficult for most people. And, and we, 
you know, many people just get caught up in life and life happens to them. And we outsource what is happening to us to social situations. You know, we, we just comply with the, the perceived norm. We just go along with it um, and, and play the role within society that, you know, we think we should be doing. And then something happens where we say, you know what, enough, enough is enough. This isn't me. This isn't what I want to be doing. This isn't who I want to be. And regardless of what age you are or exactly what identity shift you need, that is, as you say, you know, it's one of those, well, it, it's scary, but exciting all at the same time. Well, you know, I, I can take ownership of who I am now. I can actually bring that that ownership, that control, that um, desire back to me rather than conforming to the so-called society norm, which, I, you know, I don't think really exists anyway. But uh... Well, I think it's interesting because we're living in a time, you know, all of this where all of those are now being seriously questioned. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it, it's fascinating right now because, especially in the Western world, and I think it may be in, in the Eastern as well, I can't really say, but, you know, we have this, the great resignation happening. Mm. And, and, or even the constructs of how we work. Yes. So I was raised in the generation by my parents who came out of world, you know, the depression and World War II where work was it. Boy, you had work instability. You, that was what you don't argue with. Yeah. And so right now, a lot of people are like, well, I don't know if I'm okay working in a toxic working environment. I don't know if I'm okay working where in, in certain demands that are way beyond unhealthy. I don't know if I'm okay working in these environments. So, you know, the status quo, as it said, is constantly in flux at present. And in one way, I think it's very healthy. And then in another way, it's, you know, I think it's good in, in another way because you look at a lot of companies, especially in the U.S., were so, quote unquote, business oriented, capitalist oriented, that, you know, the same assumptions where companies like, well, we'll always have a source of labor. We'll always have these people that can, you know, work in stores, work in restaurants, work and so forth. And all of a sudden now that's challenged. Yeah. So, you know, even for me, if I go out to eat and maybe the restaurant I use always like to go to now is struggling to maintain itself, to find labor, I can be a lot more patient with that. I can be more appreciative with the people that are ser giving me service instead of being, well, you know, I'm, I'm the big queen, come on, what's the matter with you? Let me tell you how business is done. You know, all that kind of thought process. And maybe, you know, I, I think maybe for me, what I really think about is that when we interact with each other as human beings, because these assumptions are challenged, for me, it can give a lot more thoughtfulness. Yes. Appreciation for just, you know, the, the humanity of a person who may be, who's in front of me. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas before, it, there's a very mechanistic assumption. You know, it's like you're talking about giving away our agency, um, or I like the word agency. Mm -hmm. We outsource our agency to all these things that are going to make us happy. But those are, in one way, they are important things. But when you get down to the core of who we are, I think it's, I, I see all these other things in society. Those are kind of like 
I don't know, like a whole bunch of, like a whole bunch of clockwork. But until the core of you that is ticking right, all that clockwork just makes no sense at all. No, absolutely. So where are you at the moment then with your um, emotional transition? <laughs> with my emotional, oh my gosh. Wow, that's a big topic. Um, I think emotionally, well, where am I? So, I, I mean, I can talk about this in broad terms. Mm -hmm. uh, in broad terms, I have, uh, wow, it, it, it's like so many thoughts come to my mind. But what I would say is that I have transitioned my career. Um, so it's kind of like, I'll put it this way, going, being yourself in being myself or going through a gender transition, everything transitions with it, my entire universe. So I've transitioned my career. I work as, um, you know, I'm working both as a, as a hypnotherapist, mm -hmm. which right now, and so my business and my practice and all that is just, you know, it's more the beginning development phases. Yes. But I'm getting to the point where I just feel like I love doing this. And right now, as far as focusing a niche as to what I'll do intent intentionally, you know, like every business, you have to have a, you know, a focus, a speciality. So I'm working into specializing within the LGBTQ plus community uh -huh. because it, there's such a huge need. And second of all, who's going to have, as far as, you know, having credibility, yes, that would be myself. So when I've transitioned my career, I... Um, my finances went from utter disaster to really, you know, pretty darn good right now. Oh, that's good. So, so recently this year, I, I'm born and raised in Los Angeles, but I, I don't know why. Call this, call this intuitive. I an opportunity opened up for me to purchase a property in Phoenix, Arizona. So I was able to purchase a home there. That's where. That's where I'm talking to you from very, very warm Phoenix, Arizona. <laughs> but, but, and so I, I actually have this dream where I can live both in Phoenix and, and still I uh, kind of commute back and forth to Los Angeles and Phoenix. So I spend about three, three weeks of the month here in, La, in Phoenix and then another week back in Los Angeles because I have such deep roots in Los Angeles. I'm not going to totally surrender that. Mm -hmm. So I think and, and, and it is funny, and I think many people, maybe they've gone through divorce or a loss of a partner or something. So, you know, at this young age of 63, I'm, you know, exploring dating again. Mm -hmm. And it's quite an experience. But I think it's quite an experience for most people. You know. It is, well, well, especially maybe generationally, like dating apps. Oh, God, <laughs> that's a whole that's a whole nother conversation that we can I think actually to get the point where it's like, OK, I can date and I can go through all the develop, you know, all the evolution you do when you date. And and so, you know, the real the real thing, you know, um, personally, I, I definitely want to have my next life partner. Mm -hmm. But right now is what I realized you know, maybe that my, my evolution was to really be, what's the best way to have my own life partner is to really, really be happy with myself, to really yes. be happy with the life that I'm constructing right now, to be happy with, you know, as well, my imperfections, my things that I need to work on, but to be very secure in that. And that is the best way for myself to find a partner, whether then, you know, kind of 
desperately trying to find, oh, I got to have the next thing. I got. On the one hand, what I began to realize is like, you know, I, I did have a few relationships as I've gone through this. And the one thing that was tremendously empowering now was really to realize whether it's going to work or not. Mm-hmm. And, and to be able to say like, this isn't going to work. I can't continue. That was something the my former self would not do. And so that's a, that's a, Oh, wow. That's, that's a big change, isn't it? Having boundaries and, and a clear idea of, of your worth. Yeah. Or this just, you know, this is not going to work or, you know, it's good. You know, you know, we, we can be in many relationships where, you know, there's nothing wrong with the other person. It's like, yeah. they're not a whole person. It's like, but it is, or it isn't going to work. And I think sometimes when you date, there's kind of this, I call it like the three month beginning warranty, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> if it makes it past three months. There might be something there. Yes. You know, I I did a few, you know, I dated a few people where it kind of, it got to the three month part and it's like, okay, one or the other side is like, no, no, this isn't gonna, this can't go forward. And I think it is to have that agency about yourself to say, you know, okay, this is going to be difficult, but I I don't think this will work for me. Yeah. And, And I think that's all, you know, for myself. And I think maybe new people, when you construct a new life to date or look for a partner, it comes from a very, very, it or it develops to be to a very different place than it was previously. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So if if there's someone listening who is somewhere on your journey for themselves, mm-hmm. what three things would you suggest they consider or do or advice to give them how (laughs) okay one you know i would say it's it's totally worth it Mm -hmm. for whatever challenge or difficulty you may have to go through to be yourself it's totally worth it it's a hundred percent worth it you know and so there's no time like the present I think the other thing when you go through such a huge change to start to rebuild your a new support network that's focused around that is intentionally focused around that change that's happening. So in other words, you'll have people in your life. They could, you know, they could be therapists, they could be friends, but you'll have a new group of people that are there to support you as you go through this. And it doesn't take a whole army of people, one or two very close friends, one or two very close supporters will make all the difference in the world. Yes. Three, to look towards people, like for example, if you wanna be an entrepreneur or an entrepreneur is your calling, seek out those people who, who are quite well in doing that. Seek out those people that are farther ahead than yourself. So the act of learning, you know, the act of learning is such a humble thing, but it's also an amazing thing because that's what, if you want to talk about, you know, you know, I think that what I tell a lot of people is that, you know, happiness is the greatest cosmetic ever. Yes. You know, and so I, I think those three really simple things, you know, are really 
they're they're really important in my journey to have the right people in my life to have people that um, were that you could that I could have close connection with and you know at some level you know that this person really truly accepts me for who I am that that is super invaluable and it doesn't have like I said it doesn't have to be an army of people it could just be a few of the right people yeah that all the difference in the world and as well to have maybe those you know I could you it gets an overused word but those mentors yes or the people that that maybe have carved the path that they've gone down that path that you're about to endeavor on to connect with some of those people in a way that is you know your path may not be exactly theirs but to see what a successful outcome can be for you. Absolutely. And and I think that's like anything, isn't it? A, a mentor isn't, any mentor is not you. They haven't done the exact journey, but they've done enough bits of it, especially on the emotional side or the process side, you know, whichever is most relevant to whatever transition it is. But, you know, there's a lot of stuff. They might not bring 100% of it, but they're going to bring a good chunk of it for you to help you to shortcut things to give you advice to give your shoulder to cry on or whatever that is or i think in my case um you know it's actually to to kind of orient your compass yeah and to really realize to me like i could do this and it could be successful Mm -hmm. that, that, that was like a foreign language to me when i started so to be around people that were well you know, okay, maybe in gender transition, but it applies to anything, career, life, whatever. And even in life, you can be quite happy without having this, you can be quite happy, quite secure, without having all these labels to attach to yourself. Oh, yeah. the, you know, but when you see these people who have, they are enjoying their own personal successful outcomes, to see that vision yeah. and to realize that I can construct the same vision for myself. I can live that same vision that is possible. That hope, you know, to, to coin a phrase, that hope, the hope that I can get, you know, for yeah. me, it's like, can I even get through all of this? Yeah. I don't really know, but I have to do it. Yeah. Um, it's like there's that, there's that life after this pain point. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. You know, and, and, and it is funny because, you know, it, it is like when you, you know, when we set goals, goals are really great because they give focus, specificity, um, and all these things, but it's like, you know, the goal is just keeping the journey on track. Yeah. You know? So we absolutely need the goals, but the goal is not the end all. The goal is just where we're, it's like, a it, it allows us to continue to move ourselves forward. Can I ask what's, you know, when you, when you made up, you were in that sort of point where you said, I have to do this now. Was there a certain amount of planning involved? Was this something where you, you sat down and said, right, these are all the things I need to consider? Or did you just meet them as they showed up? I think it's, it's both. Yeah. 
me both because there's some things, you know, in, in the transgender world, you know, that, that it involves, you know, medical attention, surgeries, procedures, therapies, and so forth, which is a whole, you know, a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. Okay. So on that front, you know, navigating that, you know, that, that requires some thoughtfulness and planning, uh, mm -hmm. determination, you know, all these things. And, and so, yeah, those are things that require, that do require forethought and planning and, and, you know, very, very practical things, you know, because getting access to med, you know, to medical, um, getting access to healthcare and needed healthcare is hugely important. It, yeah. It's primary importance, you know, to, to navigate this journey. So, you know, that does require planning. It does require, um, you know, uh, you know, dedication to get through this, you know, and there's other aspects where did I plan career-wise that I would be a hypnotherapist? No, <laughs> no, I didn't. I had always planned that I would return to my previous career. Yes. But that didn't, that was not meant to be for me. Now there's plenty of tra transgender people who do work in information technology, that was just not what was meant for me, but that was a very difficult lesson I had to learn because I kept trying to return to it and it kept not working out. Yeah, and your new identity, that. your new identity didn't fit with it. No, it, it, I was pretty stubborn on that one <laughs> because that's how I made a healthy living. And, but I think you know, at the end of it, I think I always had this um, somewhere deep in me. I did have the fantasy, not the fantasy, but the desire. Well, I want to own my own business. I want to be independent. I want to do, <clears throat> excuse me, I want to do work that's contributive. I want to do more than work where I'm just meeting somebody else's, uh, as we say in the, in the in the business world, somebody else's key performance indicators, like yes. this many sales, this many retention, you know, and you're all geared up to, well, I want to see what it's like to do those things for myself. Second, I, you know, I'm getting older. I need different sets of means, different sets of needs, different sets of desires. And I thought, you know, and I always wanted to find out, I'm not necessarily super, and there's some people that are super wired up to be entrepreneurs. I'm not necessarily that, but I'm the person who is wired up to learn, which I yes. like learning. And so I, I, it, what it really turned out, what slowly evolved for me was that, oh, these are kind of my, like my hidden desires, I would say, <clears throat> excuse me. And so I think that this was the unplanned part of it. And I think it was very, very hard for me. It was very emotional to let go of my old career. Mm -hmm. and, and I think <clears throat> there were several times where I interviewed for positions that were very similar to what I used to do. And there are always positions that I would, you know, so, so to speak, close the deal. And it turned out I could never close the deal. And it was like, I don't get this. So long story short, I had a friend where we, she had a, a PhD in psychology. But even though she had a PhD in psychology, we worked together at the same engineering information technology job for 11 years. And mm -hmm. then she knew me as I transitioned. And, you know, we had a lot, 
she was a really great friend to have in this process because I could have this dialogue. And at one point I told her, well, it's like, well, I'm thinking maybe I could go back and go to school and be a therapist. And she said, you know, I'm going to give you my advice. Don't do it. I'm like, why? She goes, you're going to be enormously in debt. You're going to have to wait three or four years before you can even make money. And three, you're already, she's, she had this wonderful intuitive take on me that I didn't have. And she says, you're already well equipped to do this. You can get a certification as a life coach and you can do exactly the same things a therapist is doing in so many different ways. And you can make the same billable rate. So I would just suggest you be, be a life coach. And I, I was astounded by that. It's like, where did this come from? But I think deep down, I wanted to do something that was, yes, I wanted a career, I wanted to make money, I wanted to have flexibility, um, I wanted to deal with my age, you know, and I, I just didn't want to retire, I wanted purposefulness in my life, I can't say that quickly, and I, um, and this advice that I got from this good friend at this time is what I started looking into life coaching, and then that's where hypnotherapy came up. Yeah, and hypnotherapy is what resonated with me, and then it has its own, my own evolution as as where I am currently with it. It's amazing. It's such an amazing story, and I am so pleased that you've been here today to share it with us. It's been a joy speaking with you, Tawny, and you know I wish you the absolute best with your business and your life and your search for a partner. Yes. <laughs> The next evolution right <laughs> absolutely everyone deserves someone in their life that is special so yeah i wish you the very best and what we'll do is if you can um tell everyone how they can get in contact with you we will put the details in the show notes okay but if you'd like to tell us where they can contact you okay i i'm on most of the social media so i'm on linkedin facebook Instagram. So on Facebook, it is um, my full name, which is here on the chat, which is Tani Sofia Acosta. Same on LinkedIn. Instagram, it just happens to be reversed. It's Acosta Tani. And I, like I said, I'll, I'll give you all that information. The best way is just Google me on social media, Tani Sofia Acosta. And you can contact me through any of the social media, and I usually reply quite pr quite promptly. Um, and the proverbial website is going up under construction. The name of my business is called Empower Journeys. Fabulous. What an amazing name. And it certainly reflects the journey that you've been through. So thank you once again, Tony, for being with me today. And I wish you all the very best. Thank you. It's a privilege and it's a privilege to share with everybody else today. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for listening to today's show. Please follow or subscribe to get the latest episodes as soon as they're available. Whilst you are there, please also comment and review as it helps me and other listeners know what is good and what is not. If you would like to get in touch, feel free to reach out to me via the contact details in my show notes or through Facebook at Finding Freedom Club.